Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, handwriting and little things that say a lot. Graphology is the study of handwriting and more specifically the study of the personality behind the handwriting. So as a graphologist, I can look at somebody's handwriting and I can analyze their character. And so sometimes you might have somebody who writes something in a card or letter saying, I love you, but the actual love is much smaller than the I and the you, which might make you think, "Mm, do they really love me? (laughs) So slant, which represents um, emotion and how much we um, actually emote to other people is the easiest thing to spot, but it's also the thing that changes the most. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I have always thought that it is the little things that people do that say the most about them because all of our big motivations are pretty much the same, but it's when you really get into the details, the tiny decisions that people make that I think you can really find out who they are, even if they're trying to hide it. Our first guest is an expert in doing exactly that. This is graphologist and handwriting analyst, Emma Bache. Basically, what is graphology? Graphology is the study of handwriting and more specifically, the study of the personality behind the handwriting. So as a graphologist, I can look at somebody's handwriting and I can analyze their character from that writing. What are you necessarily looking for when you analyze it? Is it the letters? Is it the words that they use, the space between the words? Like what tells you about their personality? Well, it's absolutely not what they say, because sometimes I'm looking at a foreign language and I can um, I can only really understand English. So it doesn't matter what the person says, but I'm looking at every single facet of the handwriting from the size, the space, the pressure of the pen or the pencil, um, the space between the letters, the words, the lines themselves, the way that the actual letter is formed, um, even the breadth even the width of the um, ink. Even though there are several factors, is there one thing that tells more about a person than something else? No, I would say every single facet of the handwriting is important, but no one facet on its own means very much. It's very much um, a science of putting everything together. Now, because I've been doing this for so long and I'm pretty experienced at what I'm doing, there are certain aspects of the handwriting, the individual handwriting that will always leap out at me. And those will be the main characteristics. But certainly, if I'm writing an in-depth report for someone, I'm looking at absolutely 
absolutely everything, um, including the size. The size, um, and, and I think probably this is this is the one thing that you don't have to be a graphologist to tell. If somebody's got very large, flamboyant handwriting that seems to take over the whole page, it would be easy to say, well, they're an extrovert. But they might not actually be an extrovert. They, that might be just the persona that they want you to see. There might be a part of them that's actually much more self-conscious or even self um uh, self-isolating in a way, and it's a, it's a merely a compensatory personality trait. Is handwriting something like? Is that a personality trait that somebody could hide necessarily? Right? Like, if I'm a huge jerk, I know how to hide the fact that I'm a huge jerk. Can you hide your handwriting in the same way? One of the things that I haven't spoken about so far, but speed of the handwriting is quite important. And I can tell somebody's speed. It's rather complicated to explain how I can, but it's to do with the form quality of the letters and the certain certain style that somebody would choose to use. If somebody is trying to forge their handwriting or to be somebody rather different, then their speed would slow right down. And that would be immediately a red flag for me. I would say probably about a fifth of my work is actually forensic in that I'm looking for particular criminal traits. I might be looking for criminal traits within the known personality, or I might actually be looking for a potential forgery. And uh, the speed is a very important facet of that. So um, there are very few people who want everybody to see all of their personality, personality traits. We can react very differently with other people. And um, what I find quite interesting is that our handwriting changes every day as to how we're feeling um, physically, but emotionally. And also as we age, uh, certain traits come to the fore and perhaps um, there's a certain amount of decrepitude. But also who we are writing to or what we are writing about will also influence the handwriting. So... um, Many years ago now, when Tony Blair was the Prime Minister of of the UK, I had to analyse a lot of his signatures. And what he was actually doing, he was replying to resignation letters of various ministers. And I found it fascinating to see the different um, personality traits within his handwriting that were influencing who he was writing to. And I could tell quite a lot about how he felt about that particular person. That makes a lot of sense, right? Like if I'm writing a nice note to my wife versus jotting down notes for work versus signing a check I don't want to hand over, my handwriting does look different. Well, you kind of see like I love you versus screw off in the handwriting a little bit. Well, exactly. And actually, even the phrase I love you can be quite interesting because sometimes somebody would change their handwriting within a sentence or within a script. And maybe one particular word would appear bigger or smaller or even have a different slant. And so sometimes you might have somebody who writes something in a card or letter saying, I love you, but the actual love is much smaller than the I and the you, which might make you think, "Mm, do they really love me? (laughs) Now I'm going to reanalyze everything that someone has written to me. I guess that's something that I don't generally think about that much, right? Like handwriting is handwriting kind of, it's just. Well, it is, except, except of course it is, um, we're the only uh, species that, that actually writes and 
it it is a form of um recognition and not so much now but when we used to write checks um certainly when i was young a couple of times the bank manager rejected a check that i wrote because they said oh well this doesn't look like your signature but of course the bank manager wasn't a graphologist and didn't realize that even signatures can change over time but it is um our handwriting is as unique as our um fingerprint how does one become a graphologist well i think i've always been um somebody who's interested in people and i suppose everybody would say well i'm interested in people but i've always been somebody who's been more interested in people than things and i've always been interested in what lies beneath the obvious and what lies beneath the personality my father was a surgeon as a career and i think probably um if i'd been as um academic as him or more scientific i would have gone into that as well but i see that this as as a way of if you like you know slitting open someone's skin and seeing seeing the the beating heart or seeing what's what's really there but um on a practical level uh, a friend of mine over 30 years ago now said oh do you want to go to a weekend workshop that's being held on graphology so i said yes and it was really on that weekend that i got completely hooked and then that's when i decided to uh, fully train to become a graphologist how long does it necessarily take i took i did a 3 year course and i think that's about average that seems i mean that's pretty extensive actually there's a, there's a lot to learn i mean one year of that training was on psychology on on uh what makes people tick as opposed to looking at each individual handwriting trait but actually um more recently well i say more recently it was still 15 years ago i also trained and qualified as a psychotherapist because i felt that so much of my work was sort of delving in that direction and people would say um so okay you've told me about my personality but why am i like that and i i think oh i don't really know so <laughs> so i thought i had to train and find out and the two marry up very well actually so i feel you know it it was a useful i didn't want to study as a graphologist as a sorry as a psychotherapist but it was a very useful tool to have so how essentially does a graphologist make a living it it isn't it isn't easy and i have spent a lot of time building up my reputation um when i first started i was married to a photographer who did quite a lot of work on the, in the sort of social scene in london and so i started off working at parties and events uh which was quite fun you know in my 20s and things and then i got picked up by the newspapers so i started to write articles about celebrities or politicians or whatever for newspapers and magazines which i then went on to have a column in the times and the financial times but then i started to work for large corporations helping with recruitment and restructuring and um i'm really glad i've done all that because i've got quite a wide range of clients now i think the answer the short answer to your question is it's very difficult but i have built up a reputation and it's taken me a long time to do it so but like companies might come to you and say hey can you analyze this and tell me about this person we might hire as their executive necessarily yes they do and i've always stressed that nobody in my opinion should be hired or fired solely on the basis of a graphological analysis but as one of the tools in the toolbox for finding out what somebody's really like i think it's crucial and i think it beca it's becoming more and more essential 
um, because companies, especially now after COVID, we can't afford to make mistakes. But hopefully I can see aspects which are not going to be detected in uh, even in a psychometric test and certainly not um, in an interview process. And some of the things that I'm seeing might not actually seem relevant when it comes to a particular job role. Um, I could see perhaps somebody who there's a big difference between somebody who enjoys good social life and having a drink, having a laugh between that person and then there's the person who's got an addictive personality and who's an alcoholic and that would affect their work. When you kind of look at someone's handwriting, are you seeing big general kind of personality characteristics or are you seeing more subtleties of personality characteristics? Well, I'm probably seeing both, but it would depend on who's employing me and why I'm employed as to what I'd say. So if I was working at an event or at a, a party where I'm I'm being paid to be entertaining, I'm not I'm not going to go and sort of say, um, well, you know, you're a lovely person, but you're really lazy on you and you don't get on with people and you're probably hated by everyone. So I would I would just say, well, you know, you're gregarious and, you know, everybody loves you. So but if I if I'm being um, used as a recruitment tool, then, yes, I'll I'll go into every aspect which I think is is relevant to that person. So the answer is both, I think. How does kind of society or the sciences in a broad sense, like how do they view this necessarily? Well, it's an inexact science in that it is half an art, half a science, as all forms of psychology are in fact an inexact science. But because I'm I'm looking at, you know, the fine motor coordination, but I'm very well aware that there are a lot of people out there who would say it was hocus pocus or it was black magic or they would put it into the same realms as astrology or um, tarot reading or whatever. And listen, I've had to become very uh, tough skinned and that's that's fine. And and I'm very happy to meet people who are sceptical because I like to um, hopefully prove them wrong. Like what would be your argument against someone who would say that they don't believe in something like this? Well, I would just say it is a form of psychology. And I would say that um, if I picked up a pen and they picked up a pen, our handwriting would be very different. And our handwriting changes. We know our handwriting changes as we get older and life events and how we feel. And so I'd say, how? Do, why do you think that is changing? Do you really think it's something to do with your hand? It's not. It's to do with your brain and it's to do with your emotions and it's to do with your personality. And, you know, if you look at if you look at the piece of paper or, or the um, the medium that the person has has made their mark on, if you think of that as the world, then it becomes easier to see how they fill their space and how they interact with with other people. Do you do any work with with the court system or in the legal system in which you're trying to match someone's handwriting to something else? Well, as I said, about a fifth of my work is forensic, but I don't I work quite a lot and I'm afraid increasingly so in these times of um well we're going into going to go into economic hardship for sure and of course with that comes more crime. I work for companies and individuals before they get the police involved. And I have also worked with private detectives and security companies, but I don't work as an expert witness in court per se, um, mainly because they don't pay; it doesn't pay very well. And also, I would not um, 
in I got enough friends who are barristers that because this is an inexact science, it you know, I would get thrown out of court. I mean, even other forms of forensic science that they use can can have a really tough time in British courts. But um, but I do find the forensic side and helping security companies and and all sorts of companies that that are going through a fraud situation or blackmail or whatever. I find it fascinating. Actually, it is one of the areas I really enjoy. And you're basically trying to match someone's like there's a fraudulent document. Did this person really sign this essentially? Yeah, there is that. And there's also is this person um, capable possibly of this sort of crime? I mean, one of the things that did get um, my name in the paper it was about um, four years ago now. But one of our major banks that will remain nameless um uh, a newspaper over here printed a story that this particular bank was sending some of its employees, and it's almost unbelievable, um, some of its employees on courses as to how to forge their customers' handwriting, uh, in specifically signatures on things like um, insurance taken out when they took out a loan or a mortgage. And this article was printed in the paper, and then this elderly woman who read the article got in touch with the paper and said, the bank that you're talking about forged my signature and said that I had taken out this specific insurance and trying to get money out of me when I hadn't. And I took them to court over it and lost. And so the paper got in touch with me and said, can you look at this, the the um, potentially forged signature of this elderly woman? And I looked at it. And honestly, you didn't even need to be a graphologist to see that it was a forgery. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, so they... Um, they published what I put the next day in the paper. And then, then and only then did the bank admit that they had forged this woman's signature. And this bank is still going, it's huge. And I was waiting for this this thing, this bank to be, you know, for it all to come out. And and it was all sort of hushed, hushed down. Are you ready for some listener slash harder questions? Yes. What handwriting is easier to decipher? Cursive or normal handwriting? Hmm, I don't know what you mean by normal handwriting. Oh, print is, I guess print oh, is the word well, that I Oh, well, print, use. okay. So print actually isn't, well, it certainly isn't normal handwriting over here because we're, we're taught to write in cursive writing. And when I'm analyzing someone's writing, it's how much they've deviated or not deviated from the copybook style that they would have been taught as a child. So, um, I would say it's easier for me to analyze cursive writing because I can see how much um, the person has deviated or not from the copybook style. But the interesting thing about printing is sometimes in a cursive writing, you will get um, a writer who just uses certain, uh, will print certain letters or certain words would be printed. And that would add extra significance to that particular word. But anyway, generally cursive writing is easier to detect because somebody who prints is putting up an extra mask. If somebody's writing a threatening letter to you or an anonymous letter, they're going to print it. They're not going to write in cursive. Easiest personality characteristic to spot in someone's writing? Well, if we look at the handwriting itself as opposed to the trait, the thing that changes the most, the handwriting trait, is the um, slant. So um, here and, and in America, it's normal to write with a slight right slant. 
um, unless you're left-handed, but then that's going into a completely different thing. So slant, which represents um, emotion and how much we um, actually emote to other people, is the easiest thing to spot, but it's also the thing that changes the most. So if somebody um, has a very consistent right slant, it means generally that they're a good communicator and going out to other people. Now, if somebody has a consistently left slant, it doesn't mean to say that they're antisocial. It could be, but it could also mean that they're just left-handed and that's a normal, or, or that they see themselves as rather different from other people. And so they're sort of separate and looking in. But I would say um, our, our fluctuating mood and um, our form of communication to others is the trait that changes the most. And to me as a graphologist is the easiest for me to spot. Men versus women. What's mm. the difference in men versus women handwriting? Nothing. And there are really? three, yeah. yes, I know. There are three things that I cannot tell from handwriting. And that's the sex of the person, the age of the person, and whether they're right or left-handed. And honestly, I can't. I can see feminine traits and I can see masculine traits, but I, uh, you know, I'm very much a woman, but I have masculine and feminine traits within me. And I cannot tell you whether somebody is male or female. Sexuality is a different thing. And, and I cannot tell that a little bit, but possibly we won't go into that. <laughs> it's but like you, you could, you could look at someone's handwriting and even though you couldn't necessarily tell what sex they were. Yeah you could tell what sex they were interested in? Yeah, uh, from, from a sexual point of view, from a, yes, generally. Um, yeah, there are certain traits that, uh, if they're with other things, might hint at that, at that thing. But you must understand, along with other organic traits or, or learned traits, we don't always act them out, if that makes sense. You could see if somebody was, well, we use the word here in the United States, closeted necessarily. Like maybe they were secretly, in, they were a man secretly interested in men, but they were married to a woman. Well, um, I have got, well, there is quite a bit of an interesting story. I hope, hope I can say this to you. But um, it was many years ago now, and I was working at a big event. Um, and as I said before, you know, that's, it's not the time or the place to say, you know, talk about someone's sexuality, you know what I mean? Anyway, but I did have this, um, it was a, it was a big ball, you know what I mean? It was a big sort of function going on and people were coming, um, during dinner and after dinner to come and see me. And I was like sitting down. And anyway, this man came to see me and, um, uh, he sat down, he was a middle-aged man and I just analyzed his handwriting. I was with him for about five, 10 minutes or something. And I could see, or I thought, oh, it's quite, you know, I think he's gay. But I mean, I wasn't going to say that because it's none of my business. It's not interesting. But anyway, I saw that, whatever. So that was it. And then about an hour or so later, this woman came to see me and she said, oh, I've come to see you because my husband saw you earlier and he thought you were absolutely fantastic. And I was, you know, I was so pleased to see that you weren't with anyone. So I looked at her handwriting, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, just as she was going, she said, oh, I know it's really awful, but, um, you know, can you remember my husband. And I said, well, no, because I'd already seen, you know, loads of people. And then she produced the handwriting again. I thought, oh, I thought, oh God, why? Interesting. And she said, now look, um, you know, I've been married to him for 20 years or something, but I just feel that there's something he's hiding from me. 
And I thought, God, I was getting a bit clammy, you know. There's something he's hiding from me and I don't know what it is. And I said, oh, no, honestly, I can't see anything. I just I just think, you know, that we all have a, a side to us that, you know, we don't always share our deepest feelings or whatever. And it's, I didn't see him. But anyway, she went the heart and I thought, oh, my God. You can't really say, oh, your husband's gay. Oh, no, you <laughs> anyway, have a good evening. Bye. <laughs> and he's with, okay. he's with a man in the loo. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> well, exactly. So that was that would, but, Yeah, that would be an interesting conversation necessarily. Yeah. If, yes. But if you, if you look at someone's handwriting and you kind of get their profile necessarily, but then you find out, oh, wait, they are left-handed. Does that change anything? Well, the the handedness thing, it, it can be a problem because, you know, a lot of my work, I'm sent somebody's handwriting and I don't know whether they're right or left-handed. And the person who sent it to me, it could be a third person. So they might not know either. Now, the thing is that some left-handed people write with a right slant anyway, but it, it becomes more problematic if they've got a severe left slant and I don't, if I don't know whether they're right or left-handed, I'm not going to make a judgment particularly easily as to how communicative they are with other people. And so it is certainly if I was writing a report with someone's careers on the line or whatever, absolutely I'd need to know whether they were right or left-handed. What letter would tell you the most about something? No, no, but there's only one letter of the alphabet that goes through all three zones and the zones of the handwriting. If you think of, it's the letter F, but if you think of the top bit of the F as being in the upper zone, and if you think of where where perhaps um, a stroke might cross through the F as being on the baseline, that's the middle zone. And then the loopy bit at the bottom is the lower zone. And, you know, lower zone letters are also um, letter Y or um, G, you know, the, the lower bit. So, um, you know, the F is interesting because it goes through all three, but there isn't any particular letter that's more interesting. No. And some people that's, that have got quite thready, very speedy writing with indistinct letters, some of those little letters like the A and the E and the O, they might not even really be there. They could be just a straight line. And when you, when you say F goes through all three zones, we're talking mm -hmm. about the cursive F that goes up yes, and goes exactly. underneath yes, the line. Not the okay. Yes, sorry, not the capital F. That Yes, absolutely. Person whose handwriting scared you the most or you had the strongest reaction to like, oh, that's their handwriting. Famous person, I guess. Well, like, when whose I... handwriting? Well, when I was training, obviously we were given, you know, I saw, oh, I can't like Jack the Ripper's handwriting or known murderers. And, and I have written about, you know, like people like Ted Bundy and everything. Some are scary, some aren't. But um, scary writing. I mean, I've probably over the years, just working at events and things, I might see like one in a hundred, if that, members of the public, I might think, oh, God, you know. I'm not sure about this person. I, and I begin to feel uncomfortable in their presence, even if they appear to be charming. But then, you know, on the other hand, Ted Bundy was charming, wasn't he? So um, I haven't seen, I haven't, no, I've, I've never really been frightened. But I mean, I've seen some handwritings which are quite, um, 
revealing. I mean, like if we do take Donald Trump's handwriting, which isn't scary, by the way, but I mean, it's very distinctive. Um, you know, he tends to use a black felt tip and he he puts he does print a lot within cursive. But he's, you know, his personality can, be, can for me, be quite surprising because um, a lot of people, I think, on both sides of the Atlantic see him as very rash and making illogical reasonings and everything else. But to me, looking at his personality... He feels as though he's very logical and he's not somebody who makes snap decisions, but he makes it look as though he has, you know, despite his sometimes um, irrational uh, tweets, for instance. I feel by looking at his writing that he's actually thought it through very carefully. Kind of calculated irrationality yes, necessarily. Yes, yes. I'm yeah, going to yeah, look okay. this way, but in reality, yeah. I've kind yes. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's certainly, you know, narcissism there, but... but you know, um, Obama was also a narcissist, but, you know, and both both handwriting shows narcissism, but one was covert and one was overt. So I've upset I'm, everybody so... now. <laughs> I, I, like well, I, things, you know, I like to keep things balanced. <laughs> you just want to make everybody angry. Yes. Like, Yay, Trump sucks. <laughs> Yay, Obama sucks. But in order to take that sort of part in public life, international public life, of course, they're going to be narcissistic. Why, you know, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't run for that office or you wouldn't want to be prime minister of the UK without, without um, huge sense of self-importance. And because generally, certainly over here, you're not doing it for the money because there are professions where you can earn more money. So I'm a little nervous. I sent you a yes. sample of my handwriting. So I will tell you this, I am left-handed. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You, well, you've got very vertical, you've got very upright handwriting. So um, it's good for me to know that you're left-handed. So I would read this as though you had a slight right slant. But the spaces between your words, Nick, are quite small, which means that you really are a natural communicator and you actually don't like being on your own very much. It's, it's you feel happier being on your own because you might get find other people who appear to be extrovert but actually like their own space but you've also got obviously I'm looking at a uh, photocopy here of a scan so I can't feel the pressure because I can't feel on the underside of the paper but I can tell that it is quite heavy so you've got a lot of physical uh, energy but you've also got a lot of emotional energy and there's a lot of retracing of the strokes, which means that you don't like making mistakes. You're, you're certainly a perfectionist and you're somebody who likes to make sure that everything is just right. So I'm a little bit nervous even doing this podcast for you. But you've also got quite long lead-in strokes. So you are a really good organiser and you are, um, you are somebody who takes your time to get things done. Now, the slight downside of that is that you you're not so good possibly when things go wrong and things are thrown out of kilter and you have to think, oh God, now what do I do? Because you like to organise and know what's what. And so a surprise for you might not always be a positive thing. But you generally, it's quite arcaded. So if you look at the letter M, M for mother, it's got rounded tops. So you're, you're conservative with a small C. You're, you're not somebody who would um, take enormous 
risks in life. There's a sensuality there and you enjoy the good things in life, but you're unlikely to do things that would endanger yours or other people's safety or reputation. Um, and it's quite well balanced. You've, if we talk about the upper zone and the lower zone, uh, you've written um, the word, uh, I think it's shipwreck. I think it's a shipwreck. And yeah, shipwreck. You know, we've got the tall H and then we've got the lower P and it's very much doing a balancing act. So so the if you think of the upper zone as the intellect and ideas and imagination, that is balanced with your physicality and also with the practical day-to-day ego as well. So you'd, you'd be somebody who people would come to for advice and for a balanced view of the world. Man, that's that actually pretty much basically sums me up. It's crazy, <laughs> right? That's good. Well, yeah, that's like everything you pretty much said was like, okay, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm like. Yeah, <laughs> but, it, but it's, that is yeah. exactly my personality. Um, okay. What is my, like, what, do I have any psychopathic characteristics? Well, I'm unlikely to say it on here, am I? If Even if I, but no, and I really mean that. No, 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 you, no, you don't have any psychopathic characteristics. Um, probably because you're not a risk taker. And actually one of the traits of a psychopath is that they tend to have a very elevated uh, sense of risk. So friends of mine, people who kind of know me would say that I do take risks, but in reality, I take very calculated yeah. risks. Yeah, I, I, like I yeah, it's they, they would probably say that because you're ambitious, and that's not by being ambitious. I don't mean that as a risk taker. You're not somebody who would, who would, would risk your life, or um, you, you, yes, you take calculated risks, but you are ambitious, and the vertical slant, the upright, is. Um, you you have a strong sense of self it's there's not a huge ego there not really but but there's a um there's a pride in what you do on a professional and personal level i feel like i'm gonna cry well <laughs> that's basically my personality good i think you know you now understand me better than my wife does. <laughs> <laughs> oh and no. um actually you right yeah, there is there is the odd word which like um I think you've written a script or something. Peter is written with a stronger right slant. So you, whoever Peter is, what it was, was uh, you were feeling, um, I don't know if you copied this, but that's, uh, uh, you were empathizing with that person when you wrote that. He is, so Peter, the guy's name is actually Peter Campbell. He's an underwater archaeologist. I sent you some notes okay. from a previous episode that we did. And I do remember being like, I was really excited to talk to him. I was like, this guy, this is amazing. Like he, well, you liked him. If you if you didn't, yeah. that's something else to look for. Is if there's somebody like remember I said somebody might say I love you, but the love is very small, you know, or or suddenly goes to the left. I mean, sometimes somebody would be writing about someone, they write the name, and the name is like smaller or 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 a bigger space between that name and anything else. And they're literally distancing themselves from that person. Or sometimes even more, more sad really is the personal pronoun. The I is very small or there's a big dis- distance between the personal pronoun and the other words. But I would just say with Peter, it's somebody who um, is, uh, you're a bit, you know, you find them interesting. Yeah. I would say that is exactly right. 
<laughs> um, but it's not word choice, right? You're not looking at someone's word choice when analyzing it. No, because as I say, um, you know, quite a bit of my hand, my work is looking at foreign script and I can't even read it. So um, now forensic linguistics, which is actually looking at um, uh, the way people use words for a criminal thing. I mean, that is of interest to me as well, but that's got nothing to do with graphology. Um, that's pretty much all the questions that I have. What's coming up next for you? Um, well, um, what's what's coming up? next for me is I've got a report to write for a company that I'm helping with recruitment for. They're a, um, a luxury a luxury yachting company. So, uh, you know, in these odd times that we're going through, obviously recruitment is not as strong as it was, but there, is still, there are still companies that have got money out there and that are doing okay. But uh, and and also I'm I'm helping people with career choices because um, a lot of people are being made redundant uh, over in the UK and I'm sure it's the same with you and they're having to rethink their career and life choices and sometimes it helps to get have somebody like me to say well you know these are your positive traits and you might have overlooked the fact that you're also you know, very good at this. You're not so good at that. So why did we park that to one side? And I want to thank Emma so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included her information in the episode description. Okay. Now let's go ahead and bring John Shaw in. Okay. Do you think that your handwriting secretly reveals something about you? You know, I didn't, but yes, I I do, 100%. What made you change your mind? Ooh, who just burped? Burped mid-sentence. <laughs> what made That's, you change it? <laughs> That's always awkward. That's always an awkward thing when you burp mid-sentence while trying to talk. And it only seems to happen when you're trying to say something intelligent. Um, I, I would say that I, I only started uh, to really think about handwriting as I got older because people... You know, and we don't do it so much anymore, right? As a society, most of it's emails, text, blah, blah, blah. But there aren't very many people, mostly men, that have very good handwriting. Like, I can almost spot what kind of handwriter a person's going to be before they even write a letter. Do you, okay, what does your handwriting look like? Like, what message do you think that you're sending with your handwriting? So, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say that. From the feedback I've received, people say that I have some of the nice handwriting for a man they've ever seen, which is completely opposite of what you would think by looking at me. That is true. For people um, who are new to this podcast, I always say this, John doesn't like it, but picture Samuel Tarley from Game of Thrones. That is what John looks like. <laughs> And when you see like incredibly neat handwriting, like that just doesn't necessarily match up. But you do have a job that essentially specializes in organization. So it would make sense that you were organized. Okay, so we talked to this graphologist, Emma Bache, earlier in the episode. And one of her things is that graphology and the study of handwriting can reveal qualities that people try to hide. What quality of yours do you try to hide from people? Oh man, that, that's a great. I I have the an easy answer. Anxiety, a hundred percent. What's your go to strategy for like? How do you hide your anxiety? So, lots of drugs and alcohol. 
No, um, <laughs> probably. That's that's probably the standard answer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't really hide it that that I can think of. I, I'm, I'm more of a keep it deep down. <laughs> this is healthy. Uh, I'm more of a, like a keep it deep down inside, and then I'll just eventually have kind of a meltdown. <laughs> you are the kind of guy that seems all together. And then just explodes all of a sudden over nothing. Like on a scale of one to ten, where would you put your anxiety? I'm 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 gonna say a seven. That's pretty high. It is. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really told a lot of people who listen to this podcast. I don't really reveal that I have anxiety uh, to most people, but I do. I I suffer. Well, wow, this really took a turn. Uh, I battle with it every day. I think a lot of people do. We don't have to continue on this topic, but uh, no, let's let's continue on this topic now that you brought it up. Like, what are you anxious about? I think a lot of it comes from from how from like your adolescency into adulthood. Um, I think there's a, a lot of pressure, and there's just a lot of different things that you can take on. Um, you know, trying to be successful, getting a job, going to college, and I think for me, I was hiding that. I was depressing that with alcohol and things. And then when I met my wife and we started, you know, having kids, um, I wasn't hiding my anxiety and alcohol and things like that because I had a family. And now, you know, now it just kind of comes out. I don't really, you know, I don't really have a medium to throw it into. But yeah, I I suffer from anxiety. I think a lot of people do. Uh, And I'm not entirely sure I've ever really said that out loud in a public forum before. I think that a lot of the older generation looks down at our generation and the generations younger than us and thinks that we're all just wimpy. But I do feel like somehow the world has just become a more anxious place. Like there's so much more pressure of a different kind, right? You don't have the overarching pressure of you've got to go fight a war of these giant things looming in front of you, but you just have these little daily things that I think have added up over the last couple of years that have created pressure on the younger generations that older generations really wouldn't understand. Yeah, I, I, I think social media has a lot to do with that because um, everything's now and it's here and it's, our, it's, it's in our jobs. And, you know, I just well, don't think the older generation, though I'm not taking anything away from the older generations, I don't agree with that statement whatsoever that our generation or any other generation as a wimpy one. I think you go through challenges of generations and different things. And well, I think that everyone's success is just constantly thrown in your face and you're constantly compared to everyone. And you always see how you are failing and that can create anxiety. All right. Also, it's the first episode of the new month. So what's your candle of the month? <laughs> way, way to turn it around. Uh, I actually, uh, no joke. Last night I opened up a uh, a maple bourbon bacon candle. Put that's that ridiculous as, as my candle of the month. Look, first of all, that's a ridiculous purchase on your part. There's no point in ever buying anything that has three flavor combinations in it. The limit is two flavor combinations, right? Maple bacon, fine. Once you go over that third one, like it's getting ridiculous. Like you've got cherry vanilla Coke, right? That's too many. You have the limit is two flavor combinations, and there's no more than two. That's my rule. Well, I uh, if I can take this a step further, I went through 14 candles this, this Christmas season. Decent-sized candles. That's how many candles and how long they were burning in my what house. Are you, what are you eating? 
I'm not eating anything. Burn that many candles. Oh, are you eating the candles? Like, is that what you're doing? How do you even go through 14 good sized candles and not have your house be a consistent fire hazard and be able to get insurance? (laughs) It's just, you know, you figure an average candle has a lifespan between 40 and 80 hours, usually like on the 40 hour side. I think I put one in almost every room. That way, when I walk into that room, there's a different aroma. My God, do you have different candles in each room? I do. Yep. I think you've really focused your anxiety into candle collection. <laughs> I That's a ridiculous amount of candles. Like you've got a legitimate problem. <laughs> I mean, my wife likes it. Or at least if she doesn't like it, she doesn't say not to do it. Um, I've even gone so far as to like, we have wax warmers now, which is a complete different apparatus. But basically I melt the wax to pour into the, you know, the candle holder to keep the candle alive. Does that make sense? So like I buy refills of the candle that I melt and then I pour it in with the candle. That way it can stay alive longer. No, I mean, I understand how it works, but does it make sense how any grown adult can burn that much candles in their house? No, it does not. I actually did the math. If you have a candle, average candle burns for 40 hours and you went through 14 candles, that means that you kept candles burning nonstop in your house for 24 days. Well, I mean, you figure the holiday season starts, right? That's not a, there, you, there's no, there's no rational reason that you would need that much candles in your house. I think you really need to probably get your sewer system checked or some kind of, or go to a doctor. Just, just like, look, doctor. And all you would have to say is I went through 24 candles to keep my house smelling good. And he'd be like, Oh, I'm going to check you out. <laughs> all I can say is I have the candles. We have the, uh, the little things that go in your outlets that, you know, make things smell good. We have humidifiers and we have sleep machines. So there's a lot going on in the background in my Man, house. Usually your house is really is anxiety central. It's just you you walk in and you get hit with a wave of candles and then a wave of anxiety. I haven't really had house guests since last March. I can't see why not. <laughs> oh, they don't want yeah. to walk into the pleasure dome over there. <laughs> They're gonna be like, what the fuck smells like bacon? Hmm. Like God, probably any no one could you can't go back to work, dude. Like what do all your clothes smell like? <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Well, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know about that. I'm gonna smell Slob like slob sweat and maple bacon. <laughs> I actually just bought some fantastic Irish scented candles. Thank you very much. Can we move on to? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's give some shout outs here. We'll start on Twitter. Uh, appreciate everyone like usual, but uh, special shout outs go to Bob Barr, Justin, Ruben Sanchez. Victor Purton and Jeff Dollar. Appreciate uh, you all this week. And then on Instagram, uh, Mackenzie Bullen, Ray Alvarado, Jose Colon, Luke Patrick, and Katerina Papacristos, which I wonder if that's a real name or not. I assume it is. But uh, either way, job well done to uh, to all of you for checking us out this week on uh, on social media. Do you think people named Bob like being called Bobby? Who do you think it makes feel cooler? Bob getting called Bobby or the person who's calling Bob Bobby? Probably the person who's calling them, uh, uh, calling a Bob a Bobby. Right. Cause you're trying to like identify and be like, Hey Bobby. 
Have you ever had the awkward thing happen where you call somebody like like that and they're like, actually, I prefer Bob. Thank you. No, I haven't. (laughs) We we used to work with a guy in Orlando. His name's Daniel. And I remember the first time I met him, you know, I said, you know, hi, Daniel. And then a few times after that, I kept calling him Danny. And he he looked at me and he said, I I want you to call me Daniel. Thank you. And he was dead serious. And ever since that day, I never I I never mess with someone's name because of that that instance. (sighs) Granted, you would have to talk to that person, right? Because I would say that, look, Dan is a different person than Danny, who is a different person than Daniel. Those are all three different people in my mind, just like Bob, Rob, and Bobby are all different people. So you're kind of saying exactly who, what kind of person that you want to be, right? Like Bobby's the cool guy. Like Bobby is probably little brother. Everybody likes him. Not No, Robert's probably not a dick, but he he definitely thinks a lot more of himself than Bobby does. Right? Like, my, okay, so my name is Nick. Your name, is your given name Jonathan or is it actually John? Uh, I believe it's it's John. If it was Jonathan, yeah. I never knew it. Wait a minute. You how would you not know? What does your mother uh, call you? It's it's John. It it has to be John. You know there there's some some things on my but my birth certificate. I'm not entirely sure what happened because I have literally the same exact name as my father. There's not one letter difference, and I'm not. I don't have a suffix. Like I'm the same name. You know. Wait a minute. So your name is exactly the same as your dad's, but you're not a junior. Yes, I'm not a junior. How does that work? Does that officially, ha- like, does somebody officially have to say, like, oh, wait, no, this is, did they put on the birth certificate junior? Or do you just automatically, everybody assumes you're junior? Like, does there have to be some kind of official documentation? I mean, I, I'm not smart enough to know, but I believe you have to have official documentation and have that, I love this word, suffix added to your name. Hmm. Maybe you had a prefix. What if you were Junior John Shaw Jr.? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, it, it made for some confusing times growing up, uh, most notably at the airport one time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have helped to have a junior. But like I said, it was the 80s. I think my father still smoked in the, the waiting room of the hospital when I was born. So Wait, Why was it confusing at the airport? You couldn't tell 8-year-old John Shaw from 45-year-old John <laughs> Shaw? Which one is the dad? Who's who here? It was more so when I got older, you know, 19, 20, 21. uh, There were never any real issues. Um, But, you know, they they stopped and they they might have asked you an extra question or they might have looked at both of you a little, you know, like, is that is that really like (laughs) who messed these up? Uh, No, no mess up. Just the same name. I'm sure that they were very like, what happened here when they were looking at the paper and then they looked at the two of you and like, oh, never mind. I get it. Like who? What kind of idiot? Oh, I see. <laughs> Never mind, sir. Clearly, this is, we're just we're just happy you're able to feed yourself and get to the airport. Good job. Anyways, uh, all right. Here, uh, here's some hard hitting questions for you. Uh, let's start off with candy hearts or peeps. Which is the worst springtime holiday candy? Peep. That's an easy one. Right. I'm going to go with I mean, candy, candy hearts. hearts. I can't stand wow. candy hearts. You like peeps? You like just chewing on basically some kind of f- mysterious foam? <laughs> it's not that I like peeps, but 
if I have to choose one to, to I guess, ingest, yes, I would go with Peeps over Candy Hearts all the time. Quick side note, if you ever give a dog a peep, it's pretty hilarious. I don't know if you should be giving dogs a peep, but watching a dog eat a peep is very funny. <laughs> it's better than peanut butter. It really is. What happened? Why did you? Oh, you didn't get candy hearts from somebody, your little crush when you were a little boy. And you, know, you always mad about your candy hearts. You get peeps. What was that? I'm just going to move on. Okay. Um, I got plenty of candy valentines, FYI. Um, yeah, we have short seen, shorts or long I've socks. Pictures. I've seen pictures. Um, no, short shorts, dude. There's no man that's gonna honestly, not that this is a manly thing or anything, but like, you're gonna, you really gonna go buy long socks and not have that as a joke? Like, who wants that? You're just gonna get all sweaty, they're gonna slouch, they're gonna fall down. Short shorts, apparently, for men seem to be making a comeback. I, I guess I I'm, I would pick the long socks because no one needs to see my white pasty ass thighs. God, I bet you do have some pasty ass legs, <laughs> like uh, vibrant white, like new house coat paint white, where people can't even look at you. I am the only person you know that can live in Florida for more than a week and not have any kind of tan. John is okay. So again, for people who are still listening, if there's anyone, um, imagine like Samuel Tarley with a good tan. Like it just doesn't work. Like what's he gonna look like? He doesn't tan. He just burned. There's no tanning happening whatsoever. Just on fire. Uh, that did happen once, man. It was terrible. Like it, I was peeling skin off for weeks. I've never understood that. Like right, I'm a grown adult. I know better than to like. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not. Under the age of eight, I understand the concept of I'm going to be outside. I should put on sunscreen. I was I'm, I'm I'm just dumb. I'm not I'm not a smart person. Sometimes my girlfriend at the time offered sunscreen to me and like a dumbass. I was like, no, I don't need sunscreen. And she's like, well, you're a fucking moron because you're going to get burnt to hell. And it happened. Dude. Did you where was it? Was that on face back? No, my my back. And, and surprisingly enough, uh, my shoulders were the worst. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Shoulders are going to light up. Shoulders, that spot on your cheeks, your nose. And if I've only, I've only experienced this because I used to be a lifeguard. If your feet, the top of your feet burn, oh, that's yeah. bad. That does sound bad. Is there special? Is there, do they make special sunscreen for your genitals? No, I think you can apply it everywhere as long as it's external, I think. I think we need to invent that. <laughs> like genital-specific sunscreen. It doesn't have to be anything different. We can actually just buy regular sunscreen, put it in a different bottle, and market it as genital sunscreen. We'd make millions. We should probably not talk about this and just start our bank, our new business. As long as I'm not part of the research and development, I'm all for it. No, you won't be, but it will be your picture on the thing. John's genital sunscreen. (laughs) Oh, that was just... Anyways, uh, all right. Uh, I, I don't John, even want to ask you a follow-up question. John Schull Jr.'s genital sunscreen. Let's just let's just move on to our top five. On your picture, when your picture is put on the John Schell Jr.'s genital sunscreen bottle, <laughs> do you want it to be your face, like your straight face, you with a smile, or you with a thumbs up? I want it to be the picture of me when I was eight years old in front of a semi-truck with my wrestling medals around my neck. <laughs> yeah 
where I got the I big think... old pot belly, the Kool-Aid stained mouth, you know, the lips <laughs> and all that jazz. And I look like the happiest fucking kid you've ever seen. John Shell Jr.'s genital sunscreen. <laughs> what would be now, a what would be a price point for it? Like four ninety nine, you think? I, guess no, I think you market it as like a specialty product. I don't know what the average price of sunscreen is. I really don't know. That'd be a good top five. Top five things you have no idea how much they cost. Um, I'm gonna say okay. Let's say four ninety nine is the average price for sunscreen. I would market my genital sunscreen at eleven dollars. That's insane. No way. I I would say an average sunscreen is oh, because you're gonna save money. Like you know what? I'm gonna no, be outside I, I... naked a lot. I I'm gonna save money. I don't want to get the good stuff for my genitals. Like no, dude, you're gonna spend more money on genital sunscreen. That's no, a fact right there. First off, what? I don't want to go, engage in this gonna, conversation go with you. You're going to go cheap on genital sunscreen. You're going to go cheap. I don't cheap. think like, the, the demand, I don't think the market demand would be there for genital uh, sunscreen. I don't know. <laughs> you never know, man. And then like, we, we've only been talking about the male parts. Like, would we have to make a special kind for women parts? First of all, we're married men. Neither of us know how anything about how that works. <laughs> but I mean, we might as well try to corner the market and make, you know, you know, uh, women, uh, <laughs> or now do we make it an all, all encompassing product and have it be universal genital sunscreen? I don't know. No, here's what we do. We start out our business and it's John's genital sunscreen. Once it catches on, we then market it specifically to men and then we market it specifically to women and then we can throw ever. We can like, if you're maybe, well, I don't know what the politically correct terms are, but we can do that as well, right? Like, <laughs> we can have three or four or five different products, however many different kind of nomenclatures Facebook is going to add. We can add all of those brands of sunscreen too. I mean, because now, now I'm thinking now we got to have animal sunscreen, That's like right. dogs' balls and 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 cows' balls and and mm. horse testicles. They need it too, right? Now we have to make it to where it's okay to eat because we know in some cultures they eat animal testicles. So now we have to think about that. I thought I was I was wondering what you were going to say if you were going to limit it to animal, or if you were going to go somewhere else because you would have to make it. You would potentially have to make it edible for yeah. you as well. Right? You don't want to get it down. You don't want to go down. like we don't want to get any lawsuits because somebody was engaging in oral activities while John's genital sunscreen was on the other person. I mean we. we, we we might as well make some for hot temps, cold temps, military folks, athletes. Like we got it all, man. <laughs> With powder, soothing genital sun. We got this. All right, let's move on. We well, probably covered this enough. If anyone wants the first order, let us know. Message right? us on on social media. Definitely not just some cheap oil of Olay that we're gonna send you in a different <laughs> bottle. <laughs> Actually, oil of Olay is quite expensive. I think we can probably find some cheaper. Anyway. <laughs> All right, are you, let's let's just go to the top five. We, wait, wait, this is trademarked. Anyone who hears this, this is we trademark this. <laughs> yes, don't steal our ideas. Don't we steal will, our idea about genital sunscreen. We will take you to court we'll for take you to court. John Junior's. We will have sunscreen. your. We will have your ass for trying to protect your ass. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a that's what our lawyer should say. I'm gonna write that down. That might be that's a good slogan good. someday. Right. <laughs> all right yeah all right well i i don't i feel like we should just end the episode there like that's all we just i'm never doing an episode of this again wait just okay
Well, let's just continue and pretend like we're not going to air it. <laughs> All right. Um, let's just move on to our top five. What else you got? Uh, yeah, we're probably, we can just move on to our top five. Yeah. Say the rest of that. Okay, yeah. so our top five are top five small things that people do that say a lot about them. What's your number five? Uh, so my number five is uh, people who constantly interrupt you while talking. Ooh. Okay. I will say this, that that is apparently a cultural thing in some cultures. I did not know this. I Someone told me this like a week or two ago, that in some cultures, interrupting people is actually a sign of like that they're agreeing with you, right? Like they're really involved in the conversation. Like it's not a rude thing in some cultures. But if it is not in your culture to interrupt people, then yes, I would agree with you that that's, that's kind of like... That that's up there. That is definitely up there. Fair enough. What's your number five? Oh, people who say thank you, but you can tell that they actually mean it. Like well, that person actually meant thank you, not like the hey thanks, thanks man. <laughs> like when you like they all oh, that that was a soulful thank you. I mean, I, I I agree with you. I don't remember the last time someone said thank you to me, and I was like, you're welcome. I appreciate you saying thank you and meaning it. I don't usually say you're welcome. I will always say thank you. I don't always mean it, but I very rarely will say you're welcome. That surprises nobody. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, My number four is uh, folks who walk their dog and let them take shits wherever they want, uh, wherever the dog wants to, and do not pick it up after. Oh, that's, yeah. Leaving your dog shit around is pretty, I would almost make the argument, like, I, the only reason I would say that that shouldn't be higher on the list is because it might cross over into the category of major stuff, because that's like a huge dick move. (laughs) It is a very dick move. Right? That's the only reason I would say that you couldn't, it might be too major to qualify for this list, but I can, I, okay. My number four would be squatting in the left lane. What? I don't know if I've ever heard that term. What is squatting? You've never seen the- people go in the middle of the left lane of a highway and, and take a shit? No, dude, squatting in the left lane. Like when people on the fast lane and they don't get out of the way. They just sit there forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... And it doesn't matter what you do to try to get them over. They still go the same speed in the left lane. How many cars would have to pass you before you thought to yourself, man, maybe I'm going kind of slow for the speed of traffic right now. Like how many cars would you think would pass you before you thought I should pull over or I should move out of this lane? Because you can see them coming, right? I would think if you see cars speeding up on you, that would be, that, that's, that's an indicator for me to get over. But I guess if I have to go a number of cars, I'm going to say five. Okay. I was going to say three, but I can understand five if you gave somebody just the absolute benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were in a deep conversation or in deep thought, but no more than five. Right? Once five cars pass you, you're like, man, I should probably get over. That, even <laughs> then, that's a pretty high amount. What's your number three? Uh, so my number three, people who do not return shopping carts. Oh, that's definitely up there. Yeah. 
We had a ton of people online say that's actually my number three as well. Now that I actually look at my list, yeah, <laughs> we had a lot of people when we put this question on social media who said shopping carts because it's so easy. It's not difficult, and it's also an asshole thing when you don't do it. What's your number two then? Uh, people who do not tip well. Uh, what would you consider? Okay, what percentage are you going to say tipping is is tipping well? So in a pre-pandemic, because you know everyone is usually more generous in a pre-pandemic world, I would say between 15 and 20% is, uh, should be standard for, for tipping. I don't know if this is a, this, okay. In my mind, this is potentially a nicer thing that I do, but I could also see why people would say like, screw you, dude. I just want the money. I I'm standard 15%. That's where I'm going to go with pretty much all the time. And in very, very rare circumstances, well, I go over 15%, but what I will do is write like a note on the credit card stuff because maybe people don't necessarily know this. I used to work in the service industry. That's why I would know this is that I would write like a nice note to the manager or whatever on the credit card sheet because the manager is the one that usually has to process those. So they would see it. They would probably actually just want, like, would you want the nice note and your manager to be like, hey, good job with table six over there. That guy looks like an idiot. (laughs) Or would you just want the money? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I, I, I'm probably going to go with the money. I don't need the niceties. Just give me the money. It's but okay. What if you're not really talking about when you? I I don't eat out very much, and I don't spend big when I do eat out. So let's say you can get you can get a dollar fifty and a nice note, or you can get two dollars and no note. Oh uh, well, then I mean, fifty cents. I'll, I'll go with the dollar fifty and the nice note. Because like the difference between fifteen and twenty percent isn't a lot. No, not at all. I I do think the nice note. Now that I think more about it, is that that might go a lot longer, and it might make that person feel good as well. I mean, that's look at you making me think about so the next time right. I see somebody. Right. Always write a nice note, man. What? <laughs> no, wait. What is this? My number two. Oh, yeah. okay. So my number two is not being late, but it's what someone does when they are late. Do they act like they don't give a shit? Do they say something? To me, it's all what the first thing they say when they're late is. What's an acceptable and a not acceptable, you know, something they say or would say to you if they were late in a meeting? What's okay, not okay to you? I'm going to accept basically any apology, even if it's definitely a half-hearted apology. I'm still going to accept it. Because like stuff happens, right? Like everybody's late, stuff comes up. Not acceptable is not acknowledging it in any way. That's a pretty brazen move. I don't think I've ever been in a meeting where someone's coming late and they just don't say anything. They just, you know, unless someone weasels into the back of the room uh, trying to avoid being seen. But I don't think I've ever been in a meeting where someone sits down at a table and just keeps going, like pretends like they weren't late. It's definitely probably the low, lower level employee that's going to just walk in and not say a word. <laughs> Smelling like alcohol and right. Same <laughs> clothes as last night. <laughs> that's funny, okay. man. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, so it's it's kind of a twofer, but it's it's kind of parking in general. Um, people who take up two lanes in a parking lot, park in a handicapped space. I don't know. The only thing, the only argument that I would make is that could raise to the level of being a major like a major jerk move. 
at least a medium-sized jerk move. Wait, now are you talking about somebody who's like bumping up against the line or somebody that you can clearly see they purposely parked crappy? Yeah, on purpose. The reason why I don't consider it major, being able to tell someone as, as, a, as you know, tell someone's character like a major trait would be somebody that is in prison for murdering their family. Like that is like, holy shit, they're a terrible person. The kind of well, thing. What like, you're not leaving a lot of right. Okay, small <laughs> is not returning your shopping cart. Big is killing your whole family and going on the run and starting a crime spree. Well, what's medium in John Scholl's eyes then? Well, then I mean you could put you could put this in medium, but uh, you know another thing that would be medium to high would be like somebody who makes fun of the handicapped or or may or or makes fun of people that they don't know, even though parking in a handicapped space is a real dick move. Um, it doesn't always indicate that that person is an absolutely terrible person. I mean, I make fun of people I don't know all the time. I don't do it to their face. Well, maybe I'm, that. I mean, maybe we should do some some looking in the mirror. I don't know. I'm see, but here's the thing: like, I make fun of people that I don't know. Like, I'll be sitting in my house or something like that, and I live on kind of a busy street, and I can see people walking by, and I make fun of them to myself. But I'm completely okay with people making fun of me. Yeah, I mean that's and and I'm I'm the same way for the most part, but in some way that kind of makes us both douchebags because we make fun of people without ever knowing them or or even asking them a question as to what we're making fun of them about. There's a number of things that if people said it directly to my face, I'd be like, I don't, I don't have any argument with you on that. I really don't. Yeah, I mean you can call me all the names you want. I mean I, I I'm not gonna care really. The one thing that does bother me is when you attack my character. I mean, that maybe that's for most people, but when you start calling me a liar or, or things like that, now we're going to have an issue. But Right. I'd hate it when people call me a liar right after I'm done lying. <laughs> yeah, don't call me a liar even though I just lied to you. You're not supposed to know I'm lying to you. Right. How dare you call me out on my lies? <laughs> I do have a seven-inch wiener, okay? Come on. It can be if you tripled it. <laughs> I'm, it's because of Junior John's sunscreen stuff. What? <laughs> I don't know. What's your number one? Uh, my number one is how children and dogs react. Both if you don't like smile at a child, especially when they're like one to two, when pretty much every kid is kind of cute, or even more if dogs don't like you. Yeah, I don't. I guess I. I, I don't necessarily agree with you on the babies, but I do agree with you on the animals. So I'm 50-50. It, okay. John and I both have children, so it might be a little bit different. But if I was like a single guy and I'm walking down the street and there's like a couple of kids just waving at me, I don't know if I'm waving because I feel like that automatically puts me in a place to where I don't want to be perceived as being. Like I don't want to be that guy walking down the street yeah, you waving can't. at kids. Right. If you don't have children and you're all like, oh, they're so cute, especially as a man, people are going to look at you a little weird. Like, hey, Pervo, why don't you just keep fucking walking next time? <laughs> What's in your honorable mention? Uh, let's see. Uh, hygiene, you know, not, not washing your hands after going to the bathroom or things like that. Not using proper um, etiquette when driving, like not using turn signals. Uh, crossing lanes, you know, without signaling that you're going to motorcyclists who don't use the hand signals, um, 
people who are picky eaters, uh, folks who wear clothes that don't fit. And I know I'm calling the kettle black there, so don't uh, right, right, don't call right. me out. Medium John, medium John. Uh, and then uh, I just have people. I, I put this on the list in regards to one person I know specifically, uh, but people who order cheap drinks, uh, you know, on purpose, like because they don't want to pay an extra dollar for for a good beer, they'd rather pay you know a dollar for water that might have one uh, percent of alcohol. To me, it depends on what the ultimate goal is, right? If you're just out there to have a good time and get drunk, then why are you wasting your money on good stuff? Give me the cheap stuff. I mean, I'll take shots of ethanol, basically. I have any problem. I don't know which one is the one that kills you or makes you go blind, but I'll take the shots of the other one. I am pretty sure that, uh, unfortunately, you and I have probably done some things that I'm not entirely sure what I put into my body, but it's probably still affecting me to this day. Oh, absolutely. Okay, here's one thing that I would say that some people would say is a red flag, but I do not think is a red flag, is when somebody has, like, bad grammar. They use the wrong there or the wrong hour. I hate it when people call people out about that stuff. Like, dude, it's a typo. See, that's kind of calling the kettle black because I can't say anything wrong on this show and you immediately call me out on it, even if I don't mean to. Yeah, well, that's what—that's the kind of person that I am, but I don't like people doing it to me. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I really want to hear what you guys think are some little things that reveal a lot about somebody. We put this out on social media and got a huge amount of feedback. Shopping cart was big, but so is how you treat wait staff. I think those really are two really big indicators of what someone is really like. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.